Of course we're doing this with, with passion and pride and truth. It's why we do it, because we, we enjoy it and we want to bring forth a true emotional thing of what we're doing. Like, I, I, I don't think we're just kind of, you know, doing it for the... I mean, I'm going to say it, it's not because of the money, that's <laughs> for sure. Yeah. for <laughs> sure. <laughs> what we do here is go back, 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 back. And we're back. And we're back with another episode of the Bros and Brews podcast. You're joined here with me, Matthew, and my friend James. Another week, episode 23. Uh, we're ready to just just, just roll into this once again because we love being here. We love being here with you guys. We love you coming in every week. And it is always a pleasure and an honor to be doing it here with you, James. And I, I must ask, how are you? Well, that was very polite and, and joyful and I feel <laughs> feel some warm fuzzies. Um I'm really good, thank you, bro. It's been been quite a busy week since we since we last chatted. Um had my show on the Tahi Festival in Wellington. Um hey. and yeah my sh- the show that I was in batch the polylog was on Tuesday, Friday and Saturday night. So that was really really great and it was an awesome season and yeah, did very, very little yesterday uh, to celebrate um, being done. And yeah, I've had a big star by Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Won't be Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, of course. Happy hope, Labor Day, everyone. We hope uh, you had a good Labor Day. Um, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I've had a big sort of ring around today as like the first day where I've got nothing really on, except for this, of course, but no other stresses and things to things to worry about so yeah great man really really stoked to be here on on another monday morning just ready to talk about some stuff and how are you nice yeah good good yeah uh, just another another working week i got called into work uh yesterday which was absolutely fine just another just another day to the week really um and yeah i you know what i must say that i've been endeavoring to uh catch up with with more people while I'm up here in Auckland making new friends and things so you know that's definitely been one of the big transitions of being up here in Auckland is you know obviously being away from you and everyone else down in Wellington so but uh yeah and uh, tr- trying to get out there more and 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 meet some new people and go out for drinks and stuff so it, it's good and work is 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 really nice it's it's definitely picking up you know coming into the you know long weekend holiday seasons coming soon so um yeah going to be going to be busy going forward but uh i'm i'm well quite quite content i must say quite content i think content's a really good word because i think we're just so we're still so lucky to have normality as yeah. the the UK continues to to repeak i think wales has gone back into a a strong lockdown and manchester's mm. all in their strong lockdown uh spain france is all is all sort of back flush and as we know the us continues to to truck along being determined to be the the powerhouse of coronavirus that it is and yeah i just can't help but think man we're still we're just we have to keep reminding ourselves how lucky we are to be in the situation that we are for Mm. to be able to go to work to be able to socialize with people and yeah in my case to be able to to be in a show to perform in a theater for a live audience where people don't have to social distance and we can have drinks afterwards and catch up with people and 
I think it was only the night before we opened on the Tuesday that it really sunk in how, how fortunate uh, mm. I was to be in a place to create art for other people and a show that I really enjoyed and able to have an audience. And yeah, that really, really sort of sunk in. I think the thing for me as well is having not performed for such a long time. Like the last show that I did was my grad show in uh, the last theater thing I did was my grad show in Bristol in like June 2019. So well over a year. A year, and it kind yeah. of all hit me just before I went on to go like, wow, it's been a long time since I've done this. It's the first time I've performed in New Zealand since being away for a few years, but sort of completely developing as as an actor and also my first bat show which is sort of you know right right of passage for people um and yeah i think in that that process of like being being grateful and realizing how fortunate i was to be in that situation i i really was thinking about my my acting friends in the uk who for the most part i think are really really struggling at the moment there's with with all their the heightened, you know, COVID stuff over there, there is even less opportunity than there used to be. I know lots of the actors and musicians and artists fall in between the cracks for financial aid over there. So it's, it's even more difficult for them. Um, and one thing that, that I'd briefly mentioned to you last week was asking if you'd been, been following along with sort of the, controversy is not not the right word but but the issue oh well i mean it's a it's a controversy to us yeah yeah i I mean in the uk with with rishi sunak who's the chancellor of the the exchequer in the uk essentially like chief finance here's what we're Mm -hmm. doing business-wise i guess grant robertson would kind of be the equivalent here but yeah he did this interview uh i think maybe the week before last where I think he was talking to to ITV and essentially what the ITV interviewer brought up was talking about like, you know, if you're a musician, what's there, you know, what's your message to these people right now? This is a sector that feels very like not looked after. Um, you know, what are we doing for the arts? And Rishi Sunak essentially implied, it actually came, downright came out and said like, I wouldn't expect all these people to stay in their normal jobs sort of essentially suggesting that for lots of arts people, they need to retrain. They need to look elsewhere. There is no future for these people and they need to find other jobs. Mm. And that was received obviously really, really poorly for, for, yeah. for good bloody reason. <laughs> and then after that, a few days later, this ad came out. That was a picture of a, a ballerina. And with the ad, it said, uh, like the text on the ad said, uh, Fatima's next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. Rethink, reskill, reboot. And obviously everything just hit the fan of being like, it's just so wrong to be implying that artists should just abandon all of their training and all of their skill set and all their passion to go and work in like cybersecurity or whatever. And then it came out from that, that they hadn't even the picture that they had used because all the memes were about like, well, you had to hire a ballerina and a photographer and a copywriter, (laughs) all these artists that went into making the ad for you. Then it came out that they hadn't even you, like they hadn't even taken the photo. They'd like taken it from this, uh, 
ballet studio in Atlanta, Georgia in the States. And this person isn't even from the UK. And they had just basically ripped this thing from the US to make this like, so the, the appropriate level of, of fury and hate and, and anger at that is sort of circling around the UK at the moment as, as the arts industry over there kind of continues to battle and, yeah, I guess I guess all of all of that has just made me realize like how fortunate we are to to be here and be able to go and see live shows and and even in like you're saying just go and catch up catch up with people because yeah, I think we very exactly. much are in the, the taking it taking it for granted phase. Yeah, yeah, so true. And I mean the the thing the thing that hurts me the most about, you know, what's going on over there is you know, like for for a lot of people in the arts and and what we do and stuff like we're we're literally the heart of humanity <laughs> you know what i mean like we we i think a lot of people if you know if if arts just disappeared you know i think a lot of people would be uh, just quite sad <laughs> you know like we literally give life to uh, we we give people the escapism to get away from their lives and see different perspectives and things and and just kind of you know be able to sit in a theater and forget about everything on the outside world and just kind of focus in on this and stuff and it's 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 sad to 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 hear that because i believe what what we do or you know i I mean for me i'm not doing it at the moment for but what i endeavored to do for the rest of my life is is exactly that is is bring people joy and, and a bit of escapism away from everything in in their normal lives or you know bring forth a a, a big idea or ideology um yeah it's just yeah that's that's really sad um but i understand like it's it's hard like it's a hard time circumstances are something that we haven't really had to deal with in in our lifetime majorly like this so yeah we've got to continue adapting and going forward and how can we as creators and artists um challenge challenge ourselves and being able to keep doing what we do in a, in a time like this but you're so right we're we're so lucky down here i mean there's there's scares throughout the country i must say there's, there's something going on at the moment but we are we are very lucky down here very lucky um but hey i gotta i'm gonna i'm gonna roll into my uh my question for you today please and thank you um still on the same kind of area of, of where we're at it's, it's going to be a very very artsy artsy uh, podcast today um but yeah I, I had i had someone ask me this question the other day and i thought it was a very uh, in- interesting one and something i hadn't really thought of but i had an answer um and my question is if if you could play any character an existing character that has been on screen who who would you want to play anyone anyone you've seen in a movie a film tv is there a character that you've seen being like i'd love to do that um in it's like, a hard one i know like hypothetically or like in a remake of it or just just purely us as actors watching that and being like damn i'd love that role yeah i yeah something like that i mean like uh, maybe you know you couldn't actually do that role like in a in a practical sense mm. but is there something yeah you've seen being like yeah frick i'd love to do that um yeah i mean one's come come to mind and maybe it's not the one like the great answer but it's the one <laughs> yeah. that's that's come to me um i've got to say probably uh newt scamander and the fantastic ah. beasts franchise yeah i think for a combination of reasons like i think my love of harry potter 
it's so deep that like mm. to be involved in that franchise in any sense would be super exciting. Yeah. I think I wouldn't want to be involved in a remake of like the originals stories. Cause I think that may mm-hmm. well happen in Netflix series, like years from now when we're far enough removed that they might remake. Mm. I probably wouldn't want to be involved with that, but I think fantastic beasts is kind of est- almost established part of the canon. So it feels very truthful, yeah. but also it feels like it's its own, its own world. And I think oh, just yeah. filming those must be so much fun. I mean, they're also period piece sort of mm-hmm. technically, True. which is something that I'm really interested in, like being involved in and exploring a period of time that isn't the 21st or late 20th century. Um, and also I think there's something about a franchise which you can't help but be like, ah, they're making lots of movies and like this one and then the next one with all these new characters. I mean, to be honest, like I've I've looked at that and I was like, well, they're making five. So the fifth one might be in like six years and they might have to do like these, these characters. But I think <laughs> yeah. that is a real gift of a role at the heart of a franchise which has mm. just so many attachments to uh, childhood and magic and... Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there have been more performances that have made me go, "Wow, that's a great role. I would love to perform that." Mm. But I think lots of those performances, I would never feel like I could do a different version of it. I mean, say, yeah, I don't know, just just absolutely plucking a, a random one out of the air, like Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler, as an mm. immense performance and great yeah. writing. But I would never look at that role and go, "Oh, I would." I would love to do that. I, I go, that's a p- brilliant performance by Jake Gyllenhaal that no one else could probably create that. Whereas I think, not to take anything away from Eddie Redmayne, but I think that the new Scamander role, being part of an already established world, you could probably put a few different people in that and it would be just a slightly different version of, of different. the character. Yeah, I think yeah, he does yeah. a brilliant job with the character and I'm not suggesting that it should be recast or anything, but I would feel more <laughs> comfortable like doing that than a more yep. specific one-off character within within a movie but but what's your answer i'm, I'm no, fascinated make, to hear yeah no that makes sense well i mean yeah I, I, mine is completely different in the sense of it's not a franchise um <laughs> and mine is a one-off movie but i'm i mean the 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 big reason that i i kind of like this one is that it's, it's really close to my heart and pretty much grew up on it um and that's um mrs doubtfire <laughs> oh yeah real 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 left field i think you know like obviously not like massive acting chops but i mean it is it's it's robin williams i mean it's mrs doubtfire a classic to everyone but for me i just absolutely love robin williams in that movie in the sense of the truth that he brings along you know just as a as a father when he's not mrs doubtfire and you know what he has to deal with there but then also obviously the character of Mrs. Doubtfire herself as well. Um, I, yeah, for for some reason for me, it's, that's really like appealing in that sense of being able to do two completely different characters and how those two characters really, you know, tie into the full narrative of that story. Um, And yeah, but like I said, Mrs. Doubtfire for me growing up was just massive. And Robin Williams was, was one of my, one of my greats. So when he passed back in 2014, it was it was a very sad day. I know it was a sad day for a, for a lot of people, um, but yeah, that that that's 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 where I went with that because mm. I yeah I just love what he, he he can do with both sides of 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 that movie. Yeah, and I I'm I'm not just saying this like 
I could definitely see you do that role. Like I know enough about <laughs> you as a person and your energy, both yeah. as an individual, but also as, as a performer. And I think that is the kind of role that again, in 10, 20 years, they might remake it mm. because it's such a good story. And because yeah. I think Robin Williams is such a, a beloved uh, performer that they, there would be a way that they could remake it that was mm. very res- like respectful to to him as like a I don't know twentieth anniversary of it or fiftieth anniversary of it, yeah. Um, yeah. much in the same way as like I don't know a film like The Parent Trap got remade with Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like you can take certain stories and and just put other people into them and it still be really good. I mean, I would yeah. love love to see your Mrs. Doubtfire. I think that'd be <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I have, I, it's funny. I, I have had dreams about it before. Uh, not in a, not a, not a weird way, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely something I think about quite often. I can watch that movie anytime. I can absolutely watch that movie anytime. Um, yeah. How no, old, th- no, how I, old was Robin Williams when he did, did that role? Oh, Lord. So you said 2000 no no well no that's no he, pa- he, he passed, passed in 2014 2014 what, it's, a, it's a 90s movie would have been yeah it would have been a 90 I want to say either 94 or 96 no you reckon oh god well, fact check fact check ni- so 93 so he, 93 so Robin Williams must have been what like 40 40 Late thirties. Where we're getting at here is you got a little bit more time. To I've develop. got time. Get yep, a bit more time sure. to. Yep. So what? Nineteen ninety three, twenty twenty three will be thirty years. So maybe twenty thirty three. There'll be a forty year anniversary. Forty year anniversary. Kind of appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. We di- We yep. digress. It's doable. Yep. It's doable. <laughs> we'll start reaching out to producers to. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, t- we'll call some people. We we, we know people, right? We're- down under, they would definitely do some terrible <laughs> second version of it. You could be you could be Robin Williams's character's like grandson who heard about the story and decided to do the same thing, like a pass down through the a part. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. So 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 actually, you're not remaking the original. You're part of the canon. I think that would be. Yeah. That would be more likely that's, how they That's how they'll it. do it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Cool. All right. Lots of things to think about there. Yeah. <laughs> Locked it in. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire is such a, such a great film. And I think, yeah, that, that hits on a similar thing to where to where my answer comes from is, is there's a nostalgia involved in, oh, yeah. in wanting to yeah. honor something that you have a great love for rather than, mm. you know, obviously we respect both Hedy Redmayne and Robbie Williams performances Robin Williams performances but it's not like a I want to do that again for me yeah right? yeah no exactly exactly which I mean probably leads us quite quite well into the the main discussion point this week which is all about um performance and, and acting and I guess the roles you can and can't do um mm. representation within within performances is something that Matt and I have have been discussing and thought you know what that's definitely definitely a topic that that i think hits on a lot of the the most serious 
things that we that we bring to this podcast you know questions of identity and what's okay and what's not okay and ethics and culture and where all this stuff collides but it's so clearly at the heart of of the entertainment industry over the last however many years these questions of what is okay what is not okay within representation of performance and where does reform need to come and i mean there's there's so many tangents and subcategories to this but i think i've kind of boiled it down to to two main issues within representation which i think are the need for more roles and stories to be told about people who are underrepresented in theater mm-hmm. and film whether it be female leads within great big great big franchises and stories or whether it be uh telling stories about minority ethnicities you know stories about you know not white people for for Mm. to to put it bluntly that kind of this general issue of like we need to hear the stories of people who are underrepresented in in the arts and then i think there's a second sort of bubble which is the who can play who question Mm. Uh, where is it okay for people for actors to play outside of how they identify as humans whether it be um, you know, sexuality or ethnicity or, or age, you know, there's all sorts of different things there. So to me, I think those are the two main spheres and a lot of what we're going to discuss crosses between the two of them. But when I was thinking about representation and trying to sort of boil it down, I, I think those are where the two, the two big things collide. And that's kind of where we're at, at now. And, and, and casting is such a big thing at the moment yeah. and and what is being funded and what's not being funded and what's being seen as as valuable and what is being seen as as inappropriate in 2020 this is as a constant perhaps in a way that 15 20 years ago it was you know not such a big big conversation piece but but i know for this this topic this week you wanted to sort of take it back to some more origin stuff to to you know, something that yeah. we're both super passionate about and, and Shakespeare to sort of dive into how we've, you know, how we've got to where we are now and, and the kind of real early origins of this question of like characters and casting and writing these roles and, and performance. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. What were you, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, let's kick it back to the 17th century for a second. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, Shakespeare. Um, I mean, I pretty much you know, and school was a, a really big thing that we learned about. And that's where I found my really first big love for theatre in itself and learning more about Shakespeare and, and what it was all about and things like that. I mean, yeah, you, you go back to the Elizabethan era and it was all men. It was all men. Men men were performing on stage. Women were not allowed to perform on stage. But there was a representation of women on stage, but it was being played by men, um, predominantly uh preview uh besant boy like boys you know boys would predominantly play women because of their you know slender features and and high voices and things like that so um to kind of yeah come across um now obviously there was representation of you know like you know i would say you know strong females you know like um uh like lady Macbeth and and things like that um but yeah predominantly it was also used for humor as well um it was you know for men to go to the theater and see men playing women it was 
it was humorous. It was it was funny to them. It was just the kind of thing they did. Um, and most of the time, uh, the way that women were presented in these in these shows um, were women that would you know they would be speaking out of their mind or um, you know stepped outside of their gender norms and you know and and you know they were seen as insane or brutish and and things like that. I mean, for instance, uh, Hamlet. Um, you know, spouting at Ophelia, get thee to a nunnery. Um, and Taming of the Shrew, you know, the subordination of women in the sense of, you know, domestic abuse and torture. Um, Petruchio was literally torturing um, Catherine, uh, at, you know, denying her sleep, manipulating her into thinking that the sun was the moon and distorting her sense of reality and, you know, making her into this subservient woman. Um but you know, uh, you got to think that once again that this was this was all being played by men as well. So for men watching this in the audience, that would have been funny to see. But really, that that is not when you think about it in, in in our day of age. I mean, I've always got I've got a thing with Taming of the Shrew as a as a show in itself, and I think it's just yeah, n- not good. Especially, uh, you know, I think it's the harsh reality if you did see Taming of the Shrew with uh, a man and a woman on stage that kind of hits that harsh reality of it as well. It kind of, because Taming of the Shrew is, is a comedy. So it kind of hits that kind of harsh reality of what that's really trying to truly say. Um, but I mean, you think back to uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, Heath Ledger, you know, a great classic of a movie and completely flipped that kind of Taming of the Shrew of, you know, what it was really trying to represent. Um, but yeah, you know, um, you you also have like modern takes of of you know Shakespeare's plays and things like that they they put women into characters like Macbeth um or you know a, a, other ones like that but then it's just women playing masculine yeah you know? yeah I think I've yeah, probably seen just as many Shakespeare performances where there's been significant flips of characters based on gender versus production it's it's almost rare to find a mm. production where there isn't some kind of representation flip and i think we're at that point with shakespeare now is part of it comes from like what do we do that no one else has done before right yeah but, exactly but, but, but you're right and and hitting there's a difference between a woman playing a male character yeah and a and a woman changing the character and making it be a female a f- version yeah. of the of the male yeah and more feminine instead of masculine exactly yeah I, I mean i'm the same i've seen shakespeare shakespeare shows and it's like yeah it's a woman playing macbeth but it's still a very you know masculine representation it's like where's the femininity in in a woman playing macbeth like that kind of thing um and i mean you know we could even go back to uh, you know bring it back into the modern as we are now with the pop-up globe back in 2018 yeah you know they came out and they said that they for for their season they were going to do an an all-male cast um of richard the third and taming of the shrew of all things um and there was an absolute outcry and it an was uproar big. of that because it's 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 not the time to be doing that, you know. And it, as we're saying, this representation of of woman on stage 
we can represent that now. We don't have to have, just because it might be um, period and, you know, true to text and true to form, that doesn't mean we have to do it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was really big. And, and, I mean, even, like I was saying, seeing Taming of the Shrew with an all-male cast, and I don't know, that would just be uncomfortable. So, yeah, there was a massive upcry in that, and they didn't do it. They they did. They changed the season and and, and, and put women into the shows. I remember when that, that happened feeling not not torn but i remember i remember thinking there's dialogue there's greater dialogue to be had here and i think with these things it really comes down to to context i think Mm. part of the real issue with that was was the nature of the pop-up globe i think that that particular season had something to do with like representation diverse diversity like what they were doing with that casting really kind of was going against what the season was claiming it was doing Mm. and i remember kind of biting my internet tongue a little bit because i saw that there were so many wonderful uh wahine performers in new zealand and and practitioners that were so outraged by this that i thought the comments that i have about this don't need to be made right now but i think now Mm. we're in a safe space where they, they can be and i think what i was thinking to myself at the time but was feeling was not appropriate to express because I think there are times that all male casts are completely fine just in the yeah. same way that all female casts are completely fine like I would yeah. love to see a Richard III that are all female just in the same way as, mm. as you know you take something like Romeo and Juliet and you make it all males and all of a sudden it's a completely different story because it's such a yeah. well known you know male female heteronormative story that if you make it a story filled with only men, now Romeo and Juliet, there are a lot of male characters as is, but yes. but all of a sudden there can be a conversation had about non-heteronormative relationships within Shakespeare. Like it is specific to the confines of the play and what's addressed and the season and how you're trying to market it. Um, mm. When I was in the UK in, in February, was getting into sort of summer Shakespeare season and there's, you know, dozens of of different shakespeare tours that happen in the uk because they just bloody love it like multiple ones happening in london you know touring troops that go all around and and i was auditioning for this company the lord chamberlain's men which as i'm sure you know but other people may not is sort of the original uh actual Mm -hmm. globe shakespeare Mm -hmm. company and now this company the lord chamberlain's men hasn't been going since the 1700s but they've been going for i think like 20 years or something and it's the premier uh all male trying to keep it as true to form touring company as possible now that company does that every single year it's established that what they do is it's an all-male cast it's only about eight people they go on tour they do it minimalistic you know set and stuff and it's all done in period piece like that's what they do it is their thing so if you look at that company no one's up in arms going you know, in this day and age, blah, blah, blah. We need to ignore all those old products. Like that is the whole point of that, the way that that company is doing Shakespeare. And so of mm. course it's completely okay. And people go and see those shows every single year it has an incredible reputation as a company. Now, 2018 pop-up globe here, it's completely different confines. It's completely different. You know, there's not the history of them doing that every single year. It's not every single year. Yeah. You know, the context is is so different and i think where i took a little bit of issue at the time was the people making the argument there should never be all male casts that i completely disagree with 
mm. not just in Shakespeare, generally, I think there are stories that can be told, can be written for all male. Like if a writer sits down and goes, I'm going to write a play for five men, as there have been some fantastic plays for all men that are all yeah. about ex- exploring, uh, you know, the things we've been talking about, toxic masculinity, yep. sexuality exactly. between men, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I think a playwright can choose to to write whatever they want. It's up to other people whether they want to produce it and direct it and act in it and go and see it. I think the argument that, you know, you can choose as an audience member to say, you know what, I'm not interested in seeing Hamlet with all men. Fair enough. You don't have to go That's see it. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that any single time a Shakespeare production is all men. It's as problematic as other times. Now, again, mm. to reiterate to anyone listening who feels strongly about this, I completely disagreed with what the pop-up closed in 2018, and I was glad that they completely changed that season. But I think this yep. is part of the wider conversation that we're having, that not all representation issues are broad strokes it can come down to the this actual specifics of that that situation and i think shakespeare as you've said is something that kind of fuels a lot of this because it's taught in schools and it's always yeah. you know the young boys played the women and blah 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 and but that is such a part of western performance those traditions and we can't help but you know realize that shakespeare has done so constantly now that that is ingrained and yeah and performance sort of uh, tra- traditions. And like you said, yeah. with Taming of the Shrew, Merchant of Venice is another problem play that sometimes mm-hmm. don't, don't get done. It's also important for us to go, Shakespeare was a, a man of a different time that probably had yeah. some problematic views, just as most people of history who have done really interesting stuff are, are people of their time where they think differently to, to how we think now. And we... We have to True. recognize that as much as you recognize yeah. the genius of a writer, you have to recognize like their potential flaws. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, I think just in, just quickly off that comment, it's, I think humanity has come a very long way in the in the past couple of centuries for sure. I mean, we're not quite there yet, but we're 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 on the right track. Um, but I, I quickly quickly to speak on on um, the the school and Shakespeare, um, and it's yeah it's interesting you brought up Merchant of Venice because we actually did Merchant of Venice mm. when we were in school. Um, uh, I went to an all boys school, so once again we were kind of handed that thing of doing Shakespeare with an all boys school. We were like yeah okay well let's 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 do this. Um, so yeah we we for my final year um, we actually did Merchant of Venice and I played Nerissa, um, Portia's kind of right hand gal, um, and yeah so I was playing I was a, a a man playing a woman on stage. But then we also did the courtroom scene where the woman pretend to be men. Yeah. So I was a man playing a woman pretending to be a man, um, which was actually like a really interesting dynamic to, to do on stage. And I remember when we were um, being, we were given notes for it when we got down to the national festival, um, the judges actually said that we were more convincing when we were, we were more convincing of being women when we were pretending to be men. Yeah on stage they 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 yeah and it, for for us for for me and my friend Lockie who who we played those two characters we were really chuffed because then we both got the opportunity to then go to the globe from that as well so it, it was it was a nice i think you know i feel like when i look back at that we kind of did it in a really truthful way we weren't trying to mock the sense that we were playing woman but obviously we were still 
men playing women on stage. But like I said, those were the cards that were dealt with us. We went to an all boys school. Yeah. It's what we were doing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's uh, a, another interesting thing as well with schools and gender and stuff. I think you had a really important word there, which, which is truth. And I think that is what lies at, at the heart of these issues of representation is, is, tr- is truthfulness. And I think part of what made me really want to talk about this week was the the polylogue the show is just in batch um because one of the three pieces that i mean the show as a whole was about exploring new zealand identity and the four of us uh different actors with different uh ethnic cultural backgrounds performing pieces from new zealand theater some of which were very close to our identity uh some of which were completely not and one of the three pieces that I was from this play called A Cripple Talks About Anatomy by a wonderful uh, young New Zealand playwright called Henrietta Bollinger, who has cerebral palsy and has been in a wheelchair since a young age. And so this this short play that I did an extract from is about a character who is doesn't necessarily have cerebral palsy. Uh, Etta was very clear about it's it's not her experience. It's it's the a general disabled experience but but fundamentally mm. this character's in a wheelchair and she Etta had a really good relationship with Karen one of the directors had completely signed off on us doing doing the play but fundamentally I was a non-disabled actor portraying a disabled character and Etta mm. and I we, we sat down for like 90 minutes one day had a coffee and we just we chatted about this and I said to her like you as a playwright how do you how do you feel about this? And she said, well, I mean, I won't go over our, our whole conversation, but she mm. said, theater is really different to film and that, you know, for film, you kind of only get one go at it. Uh, yeah. What you create, you know, lasts indefinitely. Whereas theater, there's the opportunity for many different people to play the roles. And she mm. said, at this stage, it's been performed so many times that you performing it now is just another version of the character. It's another time that the character gets to be seen. It's another time that these issues get to be put in front of an audience who hasn't necessarily seen this writing before and starts to question, uh, you know, the, the lives of disabled New Zealanders and, and how we interact um, as a, as a society that has a whole range of, of abled and disabled people. And I, I felt that very much. I got her blessing to, to perform it. Yeah. But, it was such an interesting thing to go through as an actor. Cause I was like, yes, you could have a, a disabled actor play this and it would be more truthful than what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's a good thing that we're exploring the story within this hour long polylogue where we're going through, you know, a whole range of different New Zealand experiences and say the directors had already decided to cast me and then, if they decided, well, James can't do that role, then probably that extract just gets cut from the show as a whole and never Exa- gets yeah, done. Exactly. And so that is yeah. often the thing of like, well, what's what's more important? Pure 100% truth in terms of casting or having the stories be told. Now, I'm not necessarily mm. saying that have the stories be told is more important all the time because I think we're clearly at the stage where that's not the case. But in this particular case, the playwright had had given permission for us to do it. She knew that I was doing it. We'd sat down and had a really good conversation. She'd said, look, you just have to play a character. This is just a version of the experience. And it's just about finding some truth. I was like, it is entirely 
uh, appropriate for me to be performing this role because the person who created the story has yeah. said that it's okay and has actually, I think, again, just pleased that the story is being, being told. That being said, I know for a fact that there were people in the audience who didn't agree with it. And Etta said to me, look, you just got to accept that as a performer. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really had all these questions of what's okay and what's not okay in my mind. And, and actually dad and I had a really interesting discussion about this cup of tea just before we came on. And he said to me like, well, where are we at the moment with, with these issues? Like, could you play a person from the Bronx? Like, could you play a a female of Polynesian descent. And I said to him, well, it's kind of a tricky question now because I would never play a female Polynesian character. Mm. I don't think that would be appropriate, but it doesn't mean you can't take the words of a female Polynesian character from a play and perform them spoken word or, Mm. you know, or, or take the, the words of a play and simply perform the the words of the playwright without necessarily trying to be a female Polynesian, you know, like th- there's definitely yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's gray areas, gray areas there. And what I tried to say to him is I think theater and film are going in vastly different directions with this. I think the film industry is getting to the point now where, where casting wise, it's sort of becoming an understanding that, that for issues of, of, ethnicity and background and true history having people that have actually lived certain experiences play characters is becoming really really important yeah even even more so than it has been in the past whereas i think in theater we're moving to the place of anyone should be you know we need to get more diversity on stages whether it be more females or or more people from a range of ethnic backgrounds and actually cross-casting is generally speaking more positive like i think now you go you go and see shows where characters are are gender flipped or sexuality flipped or you know did you know people from say an asian background playing a character who's you know traditionally written for someone who's caucasian like in theater i think it's becoming more and more of a melting pot of diversity and i think that's fantastic whereas i think films are very different medium and i think lots of the issues that have come up about race casting and and you know appropriateness of people playing characters i think just last week there was something in australia about their tour of of kinky boots and they had decided to cast an an african-american female lead rather than an indigenous um female lead and it was like Mm. what a wasted opportunity to showcase indigenous australian talent like uh, this there's such a melting pot right but i think where we're at now the discussion in film and the discussion in theater seem to be completely different for good reasons because they are completely different mediums yeah, well, I, 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 and I, I, you said that a really good point before. It's with film, there's, it's one, and it's out there forever. You know, like everyone's going to keep on seeing it. So yeah, there's, you're so right, and I think, I think with theatre as well, I think different people, as you were saying, can can really put different takes on things as well. You know, like different ethnicities can 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 kind of draw on their own experiences with with maybe a different character or or interpretations and things like that and i think that's the thing i love about theater is that it's that word interpretations you know we can all interpret our own thing as an actor as a director as a writer but also as an audience as well an audience can interpret maybe a completely different thing to what's actually happening on stage and, and how they think about that maybe that's maybe that's not 
exactly what you, you as you what you want as a show you want to be able to put forward the right message but it's going to happen like you said for for batch and, and people watching that you knew that there were people in the audience that would be not right about that but i think as you were saying as us as actors we have to know that that's going to happen with no with no matter what we do there's we're not going to please everyone in this field that we do um but I think that's the point of theatre is to 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 challenge um, and to get people thinking about all of these type of things. And I mean, obviously, of course, as we're talking about this podcast, we we want more representation out there. Sure. You know, we 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 want to see more diversity and and more things going on. But that doesn't mean that, like you were saying, we can't still do it in a truthful way if it might not be the way that you think it should be. Yeah. Because um, I think for for a lot of of us actors. Of course, we're doing this with with passion and pride and truth. That's why we do it because we we enjoy it and we want to bring forth a true emotional thing of what we're doing. Like I I, I don't think we're just kind of you know doing it for the. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. It's not because of the money. That's <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for <laughs> you <know>? sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, we I, I think and as us as actors as well, we want to challenge ourselves as well. Um. But. Uh, like I said, we definitely need to see more of it going out there. Um, but yeah, I completely, completely heard everything that you just said there. Um, I think and, in theatre yeah. as well, there's, uh, again, there's so many grey areas here, right? Like I've just said that theatre is, is more open to moving stuff around. But I mean, to take it back again to Hamilton's show, it was, as we said, specifically written to have yeah. BAME, um, which is a term term that I use, but I know it's it's a UK term for for black Asian minor, minority ethnicity. They use that mm-hmm. as kind of uh, as a a casting word that that's used frequently and, and happily by all. Um, Hamilton was a as a BAME show. Like those, the original cast was specifically people with with uh, minority ethnicity, alternate ethnicity, immigrant experiences in those key roles. And what I was saying to Dad before was that the original show is different from the the touring show five years down the line like it's so established that that's what hamilton is is about as a production it doesn't mean they're locked into always casting people of a bane background i mean fundamentally it's illegal to you can't legally Mm. you cannot cast Mm. by race you cannot exclude people by race from auditioning for roles um now it doesn't mean you can't go sort of bame heavy or bame light in certain shows but but you know within hamilton casts all around the world there are swings that are not of bame background i don't want to say they're just white or caucasian but you know because there is there are there is other stuff out there you know yeah all yeah. sorts of beautiful beautiful colors and backgrounds in this world but there have been swings that aren't bame who on certain nights have played one of the four key roles and it's like three years down the line the chicago touring company that's okay like we're at the point now where we we know the ethos of the show and it isn't so rigid that like every character in hamilton must be played by a black or immigrant background actor like but whereas the original cast and the original show, it was very clearly cast in that way. But we now understand the ethics of the show and what the story is trying to tell, that there's there's more leeway leeway for that. Um, whereas, you know, in things like, say, The Theory of Everything, as an example for Eddie Redmayne yeah. playing that character, you couldn't have in film, you couldn't have a disabled actor play that part because there has to be this at least in that script the start of the story where 
Um, mm. You know, Stephen Hawking doesn't is you know before he becomes afflicted. There's, there's all this. There's all this gray area that fits in between the lines and uh, i mean we haven't even touched on sexuality yet like that's a whole a mm. whole different thing at the moment like someone like darren chris who um is a lesser lesser known actor but you know he started out in in glee and then the assassination of gianni versace has two key roles um he identifies as straight as far as i'm aware uh and he said that he won't play gay characters anymore because he think he's he's done enough of that and he thinks that he shouldn't continue to play those roles i don't think he has regret for playing those roles but at a certain point he said i've probably done this as much as as i should i mean i've played a gay character before i don't identify as gay as people who've listened to the sex and sexuality podcast before i mean did you you've have you played yeah, gay yeah, character I, before you said you had right yeah well at, yeah at the at the start of the year um when we did midsummer night's dream um, we 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 flipped it a little bit. So I was Demetrius, one of the lovers, um, and my lover. We actually um, flipped the gender. So instead of a woman, it was actually a, a man. Um, now, obviously, the, the thing with um, Midsummer Night's Dream is potions and love potions and and changing that and thing and and things. But um, yeah, I was essentially um, you know being a, a, a closeted gay person. Um, who all of a sudden gets a love potion and is all hands on deck on um, being uh, for my lover kind of thing. So once again, it's that Shakespeare kind of, you know, flip of it all. Um, But we were still trying to come from a real true place of that even though it is a it was a you know a, the love potion of course from mm. from that show um but the intentions and the rehearsal period and the the intimacy of everything really still came from a um a respected place um of what we were trying to do yeah and i think sexuality possibly the reason why it's it's seen as less problematic and i mean again it depends on the writing the specifics of the story but but as we've said sexuality is a spectrum and it's and it's fluid yeah like I, yeah. uh, there's a difference between me being able to understand, say, uh, a character who identifies as, as bisexual versus being able to understand a character who comes from like a refugee background, for example. Like those mm. are two, while they both fall under the issues of representation, they aren't they aren't the same thing. And us as yeah. as actors recognizing that there are a certain things outside our, how we personally identify as, as humans, there's things slightly outside that, that we feel okay playing. There are other things that we shouldn't be okay taking on, on those, on those projects. Um, there was a show that, that you, I've forgotten the name of it. You were mentioning that was on in, in Wellington recently. Oh yeah. Called? The glitter garden. Glitter garden. Glitter garden. I the think that's, garden. that's something that as fits within its own sort of category. I mean, do you, do you want to speak a little bit, oh, bit yeah. more about it? Yeah, 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 for sure. So uh, unfortunately being up here in Auckland, I didn't um, get the opportunity to go down and see it. Um, but the glitter garden was created by TVNZ's um, House of Drag winner, uh, Hugo, Hugo Girl, um, George, George Fowler. Um, and also by the acclaimed stage director, uh, Dr. Laurie Lee. Um, and they created, I'm pretty sure, the world's first drag musical kids show, which I think is just an amazing feat. I mean, I remember um, Hugo Girl being on TV quite a lot and um, a lot of um, social media presence and things like that. And look, I, I remember seeing some comments and it was getting absolute 
absolutely destroyed, you know, by by certain people and their views, and you know, we shouldn't be, you know, they, uh, the, I don't believe in this at all, but they were saying, you know, pushing it down kids' throats, and and you know, like they're young and and innocent, and you know, shouldn't be able to see this type of thing. But I mean, the the representation of that on stage and is amazing, and and I saw some some stories of kids that went to that show, and you know, they were like, you know, I I, I see me up there yeah. you know uh, kid, kids are still dealing with uh, a lot of their stuff at a young age and still trying to figure out who they are but that doesn't mean that we can't at least show a representation of 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 drag and that musical and and, and and you know and what that lifestyle and and yeah that sexuality is, is all about and I, I thought it was just a really beautiful thing so I, I was gutted that I didn't get the opportunity to go see it um, but yeah I, for for them to really I mean, I would say push the boundary on a, on a kids show like that. Um, I say, you know, I say boundary is very little slight word. It's not what I'm trying to say, but I think it's a, a beautiful thing to be able to do and, and really get that kind of theatre um, out there more. You know, I think, you know, we try and challenge ourselves in adults and things like that, but I think it's also important that we try and represent um, sexuality to kids as well. I mean, look, we've had this discussion about kids and learning and what it you know what we feel is is important to be able to uh maybe witness or feel as a child because obviously it it expands on us growing up and and what we see and and life and everything like that and i i think it's important as a kid to see that this is a big pivotal part of society and you know people represent in that way um and but also i i heard that it was just a hooting fun show and it was just a really great time. I mean, musicals are, but I mean, drag as well. I mean, I, I love drag. I appreciate drag. I've actually, I'm, I'm going to say this now, I've actually always been interested in, in doing drag myself. Um, I, I, I know a friend who does drag and I'm actually um, tempted in getting in contact uh, with him and, and seeing if I can maybe at least give it a dabble or, mm. you know, maybe put something on because it's a, I'm not saying that obviously, you know, I don't want to misidentify or misrepresent anyone, but it's it's a part of that culture and, you know, in theatre and performance that I do appreciate and I'd love to be able to give it a go at some point, you know? Yeah, it's that um, truth and yeah. it's that truth and respect bubble, right? It's yeah, it's, it's yeah. all about the the understanding of where this comes from, the people who this is their their life, this is their living and breathing identity. We always come around back to that word identity and mm. and and certain circumstances like it is if you're exploring that with with truth and and feeling and, and respect for the people uh, around around you this is the whole point right of representation is to get more people involved and understanding and part of the dialogue and, yeah. and that's simply you taking more of an active step to be a part of that dialogue now of course it means you know as i said before there is a certain there's certain boundaries that we probably wouldn't wouldn't jump into but in the, yeah. the case of that of of doing drag i think there's so much beautiful dialogue around drag at the moment they're getting more and more people involved from a place of respect is is exactly what is as needed and beneficial right mm. Mm. yeah yeah well i mean you know we kind of go on uh uh that kind of you know, we talk about obviously, you know, people protesting and, and communities protesting about, you know, all of these type of things. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you're not a part of that community or you're not that, then you, you shouldn't 
you know, then what are you doing? You're just misrepresenting them. But it's like, no, the whole point is for us to, um, to uh, aid and be with them and show our support for those people. Um, I, I don't think, yeah, uh, there's, there's anything wrong with that because at the end of the day, as I keep on saying, and I've got a big love for, is that we are all human at the end of the day. You know, we we all have our own stories and, as you're saying, our own identity, but that doesn't mean that we can't support each other in the things that we endeavor and want to do within our lifetime. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, yeah, you, you just see so much disrespect online. And, I mean, that's the thing online. I mean, I know we'll go into that a whole nother time uh, with that online kind of culture and things, but it's just... It's amazing what people can do, obviously, behind a screen um, in order to just be little, be yeah. little people, you know? It's, it's, it's quite sad, but what I'm trying to say is, is that we should be able to support anyone and everyone and who they are and what they want to do and how they want to bring themselves forward into this world, whether it be acting or identity or things like that. It's, it's, it's important for us to stand with each other and, and not feel like you can't... I want to say aid, but I still, that's not, it's not the right word that I'm trying to say, but yeah, I, I, I just, I think there's, we're capable of a lot of love. We're capable of a lot of love and there's, there's some of it, there's a lot of it, but I don't think there's enough of it. For sure. And I think it comes down to sharing the stories of other people. Yeah. So long as you're not taking the opportunity away from someone who story that might be to tell their own story yeah exactly. not everyone has exactly. the means to tell tell the own their own their own story and sometimes they need they need support on that sometimes they absolutely don't and i think for me mm. playing this this character uh from cripple talks about anatomy it was made clear to me from the people on the project and the playwright herself that it was perfectly okay and in fact mm. in, encouraged i think also she said it was the first time that a male had played the role she'd written it very specifically oh, for a, a female mm. um but it was written like eight years ago and she said well when i wrote that was completely different to how i feel about it now i now, mean it still holds yeah. certain truths but but having grown up and reflecting on the work now that now that sh that has shifted a little bit and i think etta was quite excited to see a male play that character because for her as the playwright it was like well let's see what how this resonates how does my writing come through to a different audience based on someone mm. completely completely different um yeah. but yeah i think it all it all just comes down to to the opportunity for artists to to tell their stories and the stories of the people uh, around them within their communities. And simply for us as actors, it just comes down to judging where is it appropriate? Where is it not? Where is there times where someone else should be actually doing this, this story? And it's not, it's not my, my place. And that is kind of like, you know, for, for an industry and a, and a career and, and a passion that comes down to often playing roles outside of ourselves, it can be difficult. Like it can be mm. a really gray area that we have, have to navigate. But as per usual, it's always about us having these conversations with each other and being aware of like what's okay casting wise, what's not okay casting wise. And, and for us as performers, being open to turning stuff down in theory you know yeah, if this stuff exactly. comes through that we go you know what that's not our place to to tell that story or simply in the case of like 
you know, say the pop-up globe in 2018 had kept running that show, I know there was the great push for people to say, well, just people shouldn't audition for this. And that probably would have been the case, right? Like you have, mm. you have always have the decision to turn down a role, but, yeah. but every single case is, is like an individual, an individual basis, right? Cause all these issues, they, they are, they're complex and they are, they're shifting and they're on spectrums and, and yeah. I think us thinking about those as actors all the time is, is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, oh yeah. Any, any final thoughts on, on representation, my dude? My dude, I think, uh, I've, I mean, I must say I've hit, hit all the points that I wanted to talk about today. And, um, yeah, I just obviously just want to reiterate the fact that, you know, we, or at least myself, we don't have the answer, you know, to, to all of this going forward. But I really think it just comes down to, as you were saying, I just really, just really think about it before before you do something. You know, um, we can all put the time and effort into learning more um, about specific things, and whether that be you know um, ethnicity or gender or sexuality. You know, we 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 have the ability to learn more um, if you're un- uncomfortable about something or you don't know something. You know, so we have the effort to be able to, as we were saying, the word that keeps on coming up, the truth, and something the behind that what you do. I I also did just want to say the fact of the the how beautiful it is to connect with a playwright right yeah i mean i you know for a for a long time it was the writer the playwright will create a show give it to the director and then the director just takes it from there right that's just that's just how it happened i've been a part of a few um a few shows where the playwright has been in the rehearsal room and it's amazing it's amazing to be able to go to that person and be like I mean, what were you really thinking about this, you know, and, and, and get the true story behind what they were writing down. Um, so yeah, I did just want to say that that is, I think, a, a, a lovely way of, of moving forward with theater It not just being the director that comes on stage and they just take their, their action. Of course they will. But I think playwright is also really important in the sense of where has this stuff come from? And I think that's where as us as actors can get more truth out of what we're doing and the audience can really understand what we're doing as well so yeah just wanted to say that it's a it's a beautiful thing and i think it, we need more of it absolutely absolutely and one final thing before we go to uh to sum up sum up this week matt's look at me with great shock and and aghast nature well, it's not really a sum up of this week but one little bit of shameless shameless self-promotion that we have to do is if you're listening to this right now and you have an instagram account and you are unaware of what's going on this week. We're doing our first ever uh, Bros and Brews giveaway. Uh, if you're Oy. on Instagram, head to our Instagram profile, which is the Bros and Brews podcast. And at the moment, we're doing uh, a little Brews giveaway where um, at the end of the week on Friday, I won't say the date, don't know what it is, it's probably November, on Friday of the current week of recording, uh, the competition ends. Basically, all you have to do is go on, be following our Instagram profile, uh, like the the picture, which is our new logo. It's pretty apparent um, once you go on, on our profile and tag two friends in the comments. Uh, and every comment goes in the drawer to win a $50 uh, bruise special package wherein Matt and I will, will consult the winner curate some sort of uh, beautiful bruise whether it be you know whatever your poison of, of choices even if you uh 
Don drink alcohol. We will put something yeah. fantastic together to you, you know, oh, some yeah. six barrel soda, some awesome stuff for summer. But yeah, Ooh. that's a competition that's going on at the moment. We're incredibly excited. Um, we're just trying to grow grow our audience base. So trying to get people some a little push to to tag some people who, who aren't already following us and aren't already listening. So if you're listening right now, um, please go onto Instagram and tag as many people as you can because every new comment with two tags is another entry. And hey, we'd bloody love to give this away to someone who's who's actually listening to the to the episode. So please, please go out there, do the things, help us grow the audience. We'll be eternally grateful, and hopefully, we will send you um, some some wonderful uh, beverages, wouldn't you say? Oh, I, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. We're, we're going to get there. Um, but yeah, hey, just to finish the episode, just want to once again thank you, uh, TNC Podcasts, for letting us be a part of your family, um, for everyone tuning in every single week. We we love hearing from you. Um, the support is, 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 why, is why we do this. Um, and yeah, go check out our Instagram. Go check out our Facebook. Um, check out our link tree. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're there um so thank you very much for this week james thank you bro and to everyone out there listening we will see you next time peace